Spain and Fitz, the podcast. For a second straight year, WNBA hopefuls will hear their names called from Commissioner Kathy Engelbert remotely. But based on the videos and photos we're already getting from all the disparate places across the country where the ladies are waiting for the draft to start, they are still feeling themselves. They are bringing the WNBA swag. They are dressed to the nines. At least one had an orange carpet installed at home so she could do the walk. Uh, and we're fired up for it. And last year it was a lot of fun virtually. We imagine uh, the tears, the hugs, the excitement will be with uh, with the same vibes and feeling again this year. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. WNBA draft starting right now on ESPN. Uh, we will hopefully be talking to the very first pick of the draft a little bit later in the show. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, Fitz, I'm, I'm a little bummed that it didn't work out the timing to have this year back in person. But I think what we saw from the NFL draft, the WNBA draft, everything we've seen, NBA draft, uh, it's still you get that emotional feeling still for the the guys and gals getting drafted. Yeah, you know, Sarah, I'm actually kind of on the opposite on this in many ways, and this is a surprise to people, but I love the fact that when it all comes down to it, at the end of it, you get to be with your family. So often yeah. there's this pressure that you have to go to the draft. Now, I love everybody having the option because certainly you want to see your name, hear your name called, and be able to walk across and, and do the podium and the handshake with commissioners. This is across all sports. But I, I look at the support group that it takes to actually get yourself drafted, and you think about the opportunity to share that moment with that entire sp- support group should you choose. Like That's a really cool way for everybody to get to do this. So, yes, I, I wish we had some normalcy, but I also love the intimacy that comes with seeing family celebrate this moment together and I also love the fact that we're not just going to able be able to put a camera on any draftee in any sport should they fall in the draft unexpectedly like that's one of the worst moments so right. I'm, I'm a fan the of the room. virtual aspect yeah <laughs> yeah I do think you're right about the families and especially last year we were so nosy we loved looking at people's <laughs> houses and making fun of people's drapes and talking about Cliff Kingsbury's shag pad and I mean it, it gives you a little bit uh a good nice. stuff no, if you're if you're nosy um you know Jerry Jones Cliff Kingsbury yacht. in that house I'm just saying I mean anybody would I don't know how you say <laughs> no to that you're really having sex with the house I mean he's there but uh it's Spain and Fitz we're both back by the way it's been a while coming in hot um oh, that's Fitz, what happens we're gonna... <laughs> when we're not together for a second <laughs> you have sex with the that's house true exactly uh Fitz is going to talk about his adventures in Los Angeles a little bit later catch you up on that oh by the way we absolutely did not count the pandemic madness bracket correctly and we thought we were going to announce the winner of the night of the national title game that didn't happen so we're doing it tonight so the long-awaited championship round of pandemic madness we'll throw that out on Twitter a little bit later but let's get back to the draft so 12 teams in the WNBA, 12 roster spots per team. So that means only 144 players in this league this year, especially after the excitement about the wobble last year, the enthusiasm, the ratings increase, the talent increase across the sport. There is a real conversation about expansion because Fitz, there was someone crunching the numbers and seemed to imply that even first round draft picks will have a difficult time making a roster could be only eight or nine spots truly available for these young players coming up. And that's tough if you're coming off a really successful collegiate campaign. 
That also speaks to, in some levels, hear me out uh, for anyone that hears the word and, and thinks weirdly of it, but the infancy of the league. Well, that's fair. That's, Twitter. Twitter's already gotten to me. Yeah. Uh, I think something you've smartedly, you know, smartedly, that's a new word, smartly pointed out to me uh, at times. Did I mention LA back and forth? Real jet lag here. Something that you've, you've smartly pointed out to me is that the WNBA is at a much younger spot as a professional league than many people realize. And that hits me when you talk about the number of teams because we talk so much about expansion when the right time is to expand when the wrong time is MLS has dealt with that uh, for soccer even the NHL has dealt with that at some level but but the the limitations that come for players trying to make these rosters at that size is a real issue but it also speaks to me to how young the league is that it hasn't blown to 25 30 right. teams which I think over time I it think will. it's time I think it's time I mean it, it is young comparatively to other leagues in terms of expectations and in terms of not having nostalgia of generation after generation of, of growing up with the teams. But it's 25 years old. This is the 25th season. Count it is the tagline for it. And I think it is time to look at expansion. I think there is talent. You watch the NCAA Women's Tournament this year, Fitz. Mm. The speed of the game, the scoring, the efficiency. The, the, these players, to me, look faster, stronger, smarter, more evolved. And the fact that we've got youngsters like Caitlin Clark and, and Paige Beckers that are reigniting the discussion about age limits for entering the draft tells you that the talent is deep. It's all the way down to the to the freshman level. So I think it is time to expand. I, I think what you're going to see tonight, particularly, and by the way, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, finally back together here on ESPN Radio, um, is it's a very team-heavy draft. And by that, I mean the Wings have the first, second, fifth, and seventh picks in the draft. That means a brand new coach in Vicky Johnson is going to be taking uh, two superstar players in Enrique Gunbawale and Satu Sabali, and then add a whole bunch of new players. And that could be great because they're all going to come in at the same time. There's going to be a lot of connection there, but it's going to be tough to have that many young players on the court and really trying to make something good of it in, in record time. Now, one one uh, quick note there. The Wings did trade that seventh overall pick to the Sparks. So, oh, uh, did that, that happen that ha- today? Thank you for happened, the update. I think late yesterday. So, okay, uh, yeah, the, the Sparks now have this. But you're absolutely right. It's one of the the same sort of beast that everybody's trying to figure out in the NBA side versus the WNBA side. Same beast of you're going to have a very young team for Dallas mm-hmm. that's going to have to quickly figure out how to gel together and play together. But they do have the advantage of having some players that are always are already there that have that experience. So it's a little bit like what the Suns have been going through, in my mind, in the NBA, where you've got this young core. What do you have to surround the young core with to make them great? So the Wings are, are all in on this particular draft. But it feels like every single year we're seeing such a high quality and, and frankly, better quality of player coming out year after year after year that it only makes me wonder how, as you approach the draft, how much consideration you give to trying to get future assets as well. Because if I'm building a team right now in the WNBA, one thing I am looking at is that college talent saying, man, it makes sense to make sure that I've got future equity I can lean on. Yeah. And what's difficult is to figure out, and it's the same in the NBA, but I would say maybe even more so in the WNBA, what kind of talent translates to that next big level. I'm hearing there's a possibility that Ari McDonald drops down to the Chicago sky, which I would love, but as talented as she was, and as much as we got excited about her in the tournament, she's small, right? Like she's, she's someone who I don't know at five, six, can really hold up the same way with a, 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 a entire league full of very quick, very big, very athletic players. So um, worth keeping an eye on that. Charlie Collier, by the way, it's official. The pick is in. 
for the very first pick of the 2021 WNBA draft and the Dallas Wings. Not a big surprise. Most expected Charlie Collier was going to go, first of all, absolutely bringing it with the ensemble. She looks like a superhero with the gold cuffs and the necklace. It's very sort of like Black Panther plus Wonder Woman vibes for me there. Uh, by the way, uh, just the thought of dressing up like that uh, and for home is just kind of awesome. <laughs> I like, told you, all, they are I mean, bringing it. If you want to see WNBA Slay, hashtag WNBA Slay, just go to the WNBA Twitter handle because these women are bringing it. They are working the runway of their house. They are making, like I said, there's an orange carpet for some of them. Um, yeah, she's, she's the, killing it. I mean, this is the ultimate bringing it at, at the house. I'm just saying, like, I'm yeah. I'm in for every single second of this. This is This quite, is like the award this, shows, the Golden Globes, where they're, like, sitting at home and their dog's behind them and they're wearing, like, Balenciaga. Uh, I'm Spain just saying, though, it, it's, it's raising the bar for the NFL guys in a few weeks. They better be watching it saying, okay, I got I to gotta wear something better than just a robe. 100%. Although, I think he got paid for the robe, so um, okay. I'm going to give him props on that. Uh, Charlie Charlie Collier, number one pick by the Dallas Wings. Hopefully, we'll talk to her later in the show. Coming up, we're going to switch over to the NBA. Uh, we'll get back to the WNBA draft with updates, but there was some pretty big news, uh, one that will impact, impact playoff contenders and another uh, just kind of shocking overnight news. It's next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. All right, we got a lot of warnings that we probably should have done on the top of the show. Number one, the WNBA draft is happening, so we're kind of like trying to watch it while hosting the show. Number two, the Red Stars have their second preseason Challenge Cup game starting in about 15 minutes, so that might draw a little of my attention as well. And number three, Fitz and I haven't hosted together in like, what, two weeks, week and a half at least? feels like six months. It feels like forever. But we're finally back together, so we got a lot of pent-up energy, puns, voice squeaks, insults, et cetera, to get to. So uh, things are probably going to get weird earlier than usual. In fact, they did. I said earlier (laughs) that I was going to have sex with the house. It's a thing. Uh, just go with it. It's Spain and Fitz. House, I don't Spain. blame you. Come on. All right. I don't, could you blame me? <laughs> Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Right now, uh, I'm going to throw out the uh, Twitter so that you can vote on the pandemic madness. I, I meant to do it in the last segment, but we have finally the, um, and of course, I, I wrote it wrong right off the top. See, I've, I've already messed everything up, Fitz. It's not the final four. It's the title game. Uh, The title game of Pandemic Madness, number two, alcohol, versus number five, going braless or pantsless. I mean, this is is an incredible matchup, Fitz. I'm just done that alcohol top sweatpants. I really thought we were going to get sweatpants versus no pants in the final. Right. Which was a really going to show did. a lot about our viewers. But, uh, yeah. you know, no, we're, we're good. I think alcohol's got this pretty hands down because, you know, everybody drank too much through the pandemic. But maybe nobody wore pants either. I, I, I just don't know. <laughs> I, like, I feel like I still wore pants. Very loose. It, it really just depends pants. on whether it's like it got you through and you weren't already doing that, which to me is a more um, braless pantsless, whereas yeah. alcohol's probably been a good friend for a while, uh, but tough to say, tough to say. We're going to let you guys vote, and in about an hour and a half from now, we're going to announce finally the winner of the Pandemic Madness bracket. But now it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Fitz, I couldn't believe it. We were actually texting about what we wanted to talk about on the show um, when our producer, Stash, let us know that LaMarcus Aldridge had decided to retire. Now, this comes after um, he was diagnosed years ago, back in 2007, with um, a heart condition, but 
I had never heard of that, to be honest with you. So it must have been something that rarely, if ever, affected his play. It was Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which is an extra electrical pathway between your heart's upper and lower chambers that causes a rapid heartbeat. We don't know if what happened this week is related to that, but Aldridge uh, put out a pretty long statement announcing his retirement from the league and said he experienced an irregular heartbeat during his last appearance with the Nets and wants to put his health and family first. Um, The condition worsened after the game, and he was in the hospital and was really scared. So uh, we, we, we have not heard that he had COVID at any point, but that's, of course, where my brain went, Fitz. Well, and, you know, not, not even knowing if he's had it or not, but also knowing that you don't want to have anything in the current uh, environment we're in with a heart issue on top of it. Right. And I think it's really important here when you've got somebody that put himself in a situation this year where he had an opportunity to win a championship, if that if all goes right for Brooklyn. But you still have a human being that, you know, as he's talking about the fear he felt in the moment of his heart uh, feeling the way it did, it just really hits me that, at different times, you realize what's important and as important as the NBA has been to him for his entire life growing up and now and as important as the championship, obviously, is to all of these players that play. There's still a real life aspect to this. And, you know, when he talks about it was this is his quote, still one of the scariest things I've experienced, even though he felt better the next day. You still think about that moment you were in and say, OK, some things aren't worth it and family is worth it. So he prioritizes his life, uh, you know, the right way and and steps away from the game. We'll see how that feels as he gets more opportunity to step away and feel better. But realistically, I don't know what you do when you've had that sort of a, of a scare that came from sort of out of nowhere comparatively to what he's used to dealing with. How do you, you know, not, not fear that it will come back and happen again. So I don't blame him at all. I, I totally agree. I do think it's difficult though, in any situation, you know, he's 35 years old. He's not 25, but you would anticipate another couple years. And so for it to be that sudden mid-season to not have the time to take in the moments of your last warm-up, your last game, to not have the fans mm. be there to say goodbye. Like, as an athlete, I remember how upsetting it was to know, like, standing at the free throw line, this is probably my last shot. Standing, you know, with my teammates post-game, this is the last time I'm going to be on a, you know, a basketball team that's competing um, that that was really tough, and that was me knowing that was coming at least a little bit, knowing that if we lost that playoff game, it was over. Um, for a professional athlete, I think it's really tough. Um, and, you know, this is a guy who was on a great team who had an opportunity to potentially win a title with them. I mean, the Nets certainly have a good shot. Yeah, it's got to be. Anytime athletes have to be away from the game, it's already crippling enough. But to, to suddenly have it just taken away from you permanently, it's got to be right. an, a, a difficult decision. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, not the only athlete being forced to step away, at least uh, for a little bit right now. This one hits home for you as Zach Levine is going to miss several games after entering the NBA's health and safety protocol. So they called a practice Thursday because of protocol concerns. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of hype when Zach came over to the Bulls, Sarah, but uh, those that hype seems to have dropped off a little bit as they haven't played as well as people would hope. And now yeah, all was of a sudden, a, it was they're the without Vuce, him. It was the, the Vucevic plus Levine, right? You're, you got two all-stars, two great players, and there was so much excitement and just hasn't been there. Vince Carter actually talked about that on the jump today. I was surprised just to see how they're playing. I, I thought when you put a Levine in and Vucevic who's been playing great basketball, you know, it, it, good things can happen, and, and it can happen. And, and, you know, sometimes when you put stars together, it takes some time to figure out each other and how they can still be, become or continue to be the studs that they are 
then you have to worry about adding everybody else then to figure out where their points and their shots come from. But So they still have time, and it's just unfortunate that Levine's going down for right now. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because the Bulls have lost some really winnable games. They've, you know, put up some turds of late, and you need every single game when you're fighting for those last spots in, in the postseason. And, again, they have the talent. Now, it's a real quick turnaround, and we talked about this before. They were so disastrous last year. They were so awful under Jim Boylan that, you know, they needed time to adjust to a new front office and a new coach. Um, but they are now 22 and 32, 10th placed in the East, and Levine is almost at 30 points a game. So to be without him for a number of days is a pretty big blow. Um, another athlete uh, that uh, we're we're hearing some news about that, uh, frankly, again, was shocked is Jason Tatum talking about how he's never in his life had to use an inhaler, but after getting COVID and recovering, he now needs to use it before games. Here's what he said about his health. I feel really good now uh, coming back from COVID. Uh, it's a process. You know, anybody that has it, um, they'll tell you it takes a it takes a while to just feel like you did before you had it, uh, whatever, you know, with your breathing, adjust your, your body. Um, but, you know, I'm feeling really, really good and um, hopefully continue to feel this way and keep going. Fitz, he's not the only young professional athlete that we've heard say things just don't feel the same. And not knowing anything about the long-term effects of COVID, it's pretty scary, the idea that you'd have to have an inhaler, the idea that we know that some, you know, Asia Durr of the Liberty, you know, hasn't been able to even try to play basketball may never play again. Uh, it's 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 a, a really stark reminder. I'm glad he's talking about it. Yeah, I'm, and that's the important part of it, Sarah, is that you, there's got to be an open dialogue on this uh, for so many of us because it's important as we constantly judge the performance of athletes and everything they do to have some context of what COVID is going to do long-term because not only does it matter to that athlete, not only does it matter to the context we should all be applying to how we analyze it, but it also matters to every other athlete that's making difficult decisions constantly on the risk they're willing to take and, and willing to put themselves through to be able to play the game. I mean, for, for lingering effects on a young athlete with the promise of Jason Tatum, there's got to be an eye-opening, eye-opening moment for everybody in the NBA. Yeah, and, and I, I, I hope he continues to talk about it because I do think – there are still people, and it's kind of remarkable, a year plus later, who haven't been paying attention to how many people are suffering from those long hauler effects and that there aren't answers to them. And so for professional athletes, you know, like I said, Asia Durr is a perfect example. This is someone who had an entire career ahead of her and now isn't sure if she'll ever play again. So athletes, um, you know, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty important to keep talking about it. So Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up, we'll stick with the NBA, bringing one of our favorites to get her take on Aldridge and Levine and the rest of the league. We'll keep you updated on what's happening with the WNBA draft as well. Ari McDonald, ah, oh, not dropping to the sky. Oh, dang it. <laughs> You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The top spot in the East was up for grabs, but the game didn't look like many of us thought it would because of the players that were playing. And is that a real problem for the future or even for now in the NBA? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. And, you know, we've been breaking down some of the NBA headlines across the league, but we're going to go to the Goodyear hotline. So we can be joined by one of our favorite experts to make some of this make sense. ESPN NBA analyst Doris Burke joining us. Doris, thanks so much for the time. We always appreciate the time you generously give us. And we're trying to figure out what matters currently in a world where it feels like everybody only cares about championships. But now I'm supposed to care about a regular season game that the Nets didn't seem to care about because not everybody's playing. Is there in your mind a load management issue even currently in the NBA? 
You know, Jason, I think you remember last year when uh, when when the Clippers decided to sit Kawhi Leonard, and you know, I had a comment about it. Sort of went viral, and they the Clippers were quite upset. I was criticizing them for for sitting Kawhi so early in the season. You know, I had the game last night. Kevin Durant did not play. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and say. I have been hesitant to make any judgments on teams in this particular season for this reason and this reason only. From the opening of the season going back to Christmas Day, there were concerns leading into it, and it has only grown in the interim. You can feel the weight of this season to me and this rapid number of games, the the three and four and the five and seven and this mounting number of injuries that we are seeing. And so normally I would have probably expressed some frustration last night that Kevin Durant did not play, but because of the uniqueness of the season, and it is clear when we Zoom with these players and coaches how difficult this has been physically and mentally on everyone. And so I don't know that I can answer it um, in this particular season. I Again, I go back to the comment I made about Kawhi and being frustrated a season ago, but it were diff- it was different circumstances. I am so hesitant to make any judgment on who is playing and who is not because every single game I have done this year, somebody has not been available. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating, especially when they're high-profile players, especially when we want to see the matchups in the regular season that might be previews of the postseason. But we also understand that, uh, especially in recent years, there's just been so much focus on do it in the postseason, and that's a lot easier to do when everybody's healthy. We're talking to Doris Burke here on Spain and Fed Source. Um, you know, Zach Levine now out for an undetermined amount of time. This is a Bulls squad mm-hmm. that I was just happy to seem remotely competent. New leadership, Perfect. new coach. It's been such a disaster of late that I continually said they should be relegated to the G League, like Premier League soccer. And now they at least are a part of the NBA. What have you seen from them since the trade deadline? Has it been disappointing to you like it has to many to have that kind of talent and not quite have a click yet? You know, I was excited about the acquisition of of, uh, Vucevic, and it's funny because it really, on the Eastern Conference, he was the player I left out, and I took a ton of heat because inevitably, right, he makes it, but I had to say, okay, if I weren't picking him, who would I, I put on? Listen, I think the guy is monstrously talented. I think he is so skilled. Uh, you know, good passer, good scorer, brings you so many things. Like, yeah, I think it's probably been frustrating for your fans. The one thing I would say is it feels like a frustrated basketball team. Hmm. Um, when you're not getting consistent effort, even on a night, you're, you're, you know, you're playing Orlando. You're not better than Orlando. You're 4-11 in your last 15 games. The fact of the matter is the Washington Wizards are closing fast on that opportunity for the play-in game. And I listen, we have gotten a range of uh, feelings on from, from GMs, from coaches, from players about how they feel about this play-in tournament. But if I'm the Bulls, I want in that. And obviously the absence of Zach takes a, take, that takes a hit because they have a, you know, what you could, could consider a relatively tough schedule remaining. But with Washington playing the way they're playing and Russell putting all the pressure on he's putting on, yeah, I think you'd be be concerned if you're a Bulls fan. But listen, I'm a Knicks fan. Like, think about my last <laughs> few decades and how hard it's been. <laughs> 
We're talking to ESPN NBA analyst Doris Burke on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Stick with the play-in game for a second, Doris. I mean, when you think about what we're looking at here, I mean, you've got some players like Draymond speaking out with indifference towards it, but you've got young teams that seem to maybe want to be in it. Overall, how does the league seem to feel about this play-in game now that we're so close to actually watching it happen? Yeah, uh, so I've in the last two days I've had you know opinions 180 degrees from each other. I understood Mark Cuban's frustration as it relates again to this season because of the compacted schedule. Um, so I understood it. He was one of the uh, owners who voted unanimously for this play-in tournament. I'm going to tell you this. You know, we spent 76 days in the bubble last year. I was so excited to watch Damian Lillard play in that play-in tournament that Mark Jones and I went over to the bubble and spent just a few more hours in the gym. That's how compelling uh, a situation that was. I'm going to say something that Daryl Morey said to Mike Breen and I yesterday, which I was fascinated by. He believes that the NFL does the playoff situation better. That he thinks uh, 16 teams is too many. And so I think what we, what we can't lose sight of is that I think this is a situation that the NBA will continue to tweak. Um, I'm excited about it because I think it gives you more of an opportunity to play meaningful games down the stretch. Think about what could happen in both conferences for those teams fighting for sixth place to avoid the seven through ten. I I love the idea, but again, it's not my livelihood and it's not my body out there every single day on the line. I love it. I understand Mark Cuban and I respect the fact that he said I made a mistake, especially in the COVID season. Uh, But I personally love, love the play in. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to ESPN NBA analyst Doris Burke. Doris, we're just talking about sort of the, the teams that have been complaining about you know, near the end of the season, maybe we want to rest people and be ready for the postseason, mm-hmm. um, especially because we've seen some teams like the Milwaukee Bucks notably be so strong in the regular season and not be able to get it done in the postseason. Same goes with teams like the Clippers. A lot of questions about are the Jazz really a team that's tops in the West or is this a regular season squad? Do you anticipate that those teams that are sitting near the top of the East and West are the better teams, even when the postseason comes, or is it going to come down to the usual? It's the Lakers. They just haven't been healthy. It's, you know, the, the Clippers versus, you know, some of the upstarts that people don't maybe buy it. As it relates to the Utah jazz specifically, here's what I think. Um, they are an excellent basketball team. And as I believe Denver had an opportunity to win a championship until the Jamal Murray injury, I do think the Utah Jazz have a chance. What you saw when they lost three games to high-caliber opponents was they shot 27% from three-point territory. The bottom line for the Utah Jazz comes down to this. Will they make enough threes in all the series required to win a championship? Because they are excellent on both sides of the ball. Their offense and defense are both good enough numerically and by all metrics to say this is a championship-caliber team. When they lose, it's because they don't make shots. And so what if the Utah Jazz were to even make an NBA Finals? They are taking 49% of their shots from the three-point line and making 40% of them. Like in a copycat league, if they make it to the West Finals or just make it to to an NBA Finals, 
how much of a an ongoing revolution toward the three-point emphasis would we see? Um, that I'm curious about. And here's, you know, it's funny. I've done a number of interviews, and people always ask, you know, who would you pick right now? And I cannot believe I'm almost I'm saying it again. Uh-uh. And I every time I say it, I'm like, are you out of your mind? If you were asking me to pick the champion based on health and, you know, the the key players on both on every team available, I'm still picking the Brooklyn Nets. I am like they are so gifted and talented. James Harden is at an MVP level. Kyrie Irving willingly gave up the basketball and is moving off. You've got three of the great, you know, shot makers in a in a game the situation that you could have, like I'm picking the Brooklyn Nets if, if, if everybody's healthy. And I can't believe having watched Anthony Davis and LeBron put together a championship last year that I'm saying that. Doris, we'd be remiss to not ask you quickly uh, before we let you go. Obviously, the uh, Aldridge retirement news sort of stunned Sarah and I today. What was your reaction? Mm. Well, I just want to say what a class gentleman uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is. And I'm just going to tell a story and give you a gratuitous Providence College reference just because <laughs> uh, Kaylee, Kaylee Griffin, who is the, was the San Antonio Spurs sideline reporter, digital reporter first, then sideline. At the time she, she gets the job, LaMarcus becomes the face of the franchise because uh, it was Kawhi's last year. And she loses her job and the first one of the first people to text her was LaMarcus Aldridge. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a seven-time All-Star, just below 20,000 points, 15 years in the league. I'll uh, tell one more antidote. You know, Stephen Adams is widely considered the strongest post player in the league. And there was a time where the focal point was dump it into the post, and, you know, you'd see two big bodies. And Stephen Adams and LaMarcus Aldridge, I remember them going back and forth and just talking about the respect they had. Hard playing, physical, yes, but never dirty. Uh, just an accomplished player, uh, tremendous years in, in Portland. I thought, you know, you, you think about Brandon Roy, the, the, the heartbreak of the, the early end to his career. But LaMarcus was consistently excellent. I just, I'm talking, he's a pro's pro, you guys. So you yep. both know what that means. Yep. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this to you, you know, Karis Levert and LaMarcus Aldridge, like the health and uh, the emphasis on the health of these players, mental and physical is significant. The NBA makes a commitment and, uh, and, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm happy he's okay. And I wish him all the best and God bless him retirement. I, I'm envious. <laughs> <laughs> Doris, you're, you're spectacular as always. Stay safe, my friend. Thank you so much for giving us your time and your insights. We appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Doris. Uh, by the way, don't forget Joel Embiid, a guest, a guest of Zach Lowe's On the Low podcast. Drops tomorrow morning wherever you get your podcast. So check out the Low Post podcast. That's what I meant to say. I'm going to learn how to read. The Low Post podcast, <laughs> Joel Embiid. Check it out like wherever you get one? your podcast. No. Third, time, third time's the charm. That's what we're going for. All right. I've been in L.A. doing something really cool this week that's going to give you the opportunity to smile during the NFL draft. We'll tell you about it next. Plus, an NFC North sort of moment that you don't want to miss. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel Lady, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance at Progressive. They're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. All you got to do is go to Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. 
Sarah, Def Leppard is not playing by accident. Stosh, producer extraordinaire on this show. Massive Def Leppard fan, which actually came into play before we were uh, back to last week while you were on vacation and I was in before yeah. we were separated for a little hiatus. I was talking to Stosh one day and I said, hey, I got the coolest call ever and I'm going to get to talk to Def Leppard. And you know what? Nice. I think he kind of, he fanchiled a little bit, you know? Like, yeah, there was, <laughs> More than there was... a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been in LA the last few days and for anyone that watched uh, the 20, whatever, 18 NFL draft in Nashville, I did vignettes where I sat down with different country artists and now I've had the opportunity to do that again with this draft because the draft is taking place in Cleveland on a stage that's built adjacent to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So Cleveland's really, you know, leaning into the Hall of Fame aspect of it. So I've spent much of the last several days talking to all these different Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, legends about, you know, just life journey, believing in yourself, making it, all of these things. Yeah. And they're going to run those throughout the draft on ABC awesome. and ESPN all three days. So it's a really cool experience. That's really cool. Okay, so give us a – I don't want you to give it all away if you're kind of holding some of it as a secret, but give us a, a couple of the names that we can expect other than Death Leopard. Well, Def Leppard definitely on the list. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, by the way, like the coolest guys. I mean, just Ooh, look at that like, timing too. Was it coming off the versus battle or right before? It was right after the versus battle. Oh, and, sick! But you know, like what what was really crazy because I had three of the members on a Zoom with me, and we did everything socially distanced and safe for anyone that's concerned, especially given you know these times. And we were in California for parts of this. Like I was actually talking to a Zoom. A screen on a TV, so it was kind of, kind of. So uh, why'd you amazing. have to go to California for like a set? Maybe that was. Yeah, yeah, everything was okay. built out there, uh, so cool. it was just sort of the 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 details and schematics. But it was even funny just sitting there, uh, you know, Def Leppard, uh, Joe Elliott, lead singer, Def Leppard. He was in Spain on a Zoom call and like sweating his <laughs> brains out, you know, and and uh, we were just talking about all, all of life. And what really hit me, sir, like sometimes you have these conversations and it just hits right and and i talked to so many different legends and one of the questions i asked all of them is can you tell me about some of the young acts that have asked out reached out to you to ask for advice because you know what we're doing with these draft tie-ins is working your way in with like veterans and how you how you sort of make that life switch and every single one of them said that no acts were reaching out but at the same time the hmm. response I got from all of them was, I don't know that like what I've done would really make me qualified to give people advice. They're like, what do I know other than how I made it? And that might not work for the next guy. Huh. It was a level of humility. Strange humility, was, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was stunning to me. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and do you think it was not faux in the sense of like in, in, inauthentic, but do you think it was sort of like uh, they thought it sounded better than acting like no. they knew what they were no, it was it, genuine. It was it was real. Like Joe Elliott told a story. I asked I asked Def Leppard guys. I asked, you know one moment on stage where he looked around like the draft and said, "Okay, I made it." And he he remembered the date. He remembered the stadium, Jack wow. Murphy Stadium in San Diego. And he said, in in eighteen months, they had gone from playing for eight hundred people in a small club that nobody knew who they were to headlining in front of fifty five thousand people at Jack Murphy Stadium in eighteen months. And he talked about like how ill-prepared they were for that rise and how you can't appreciate it in the moment. It's such a whirlwind. It was it was just surreal to see him talking about that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Fitz went and interviewed a bunch of really famous uh, and amazing Hall of Fame-type musicians uh, for the draft coming up, so you get to see all those interviews. Um, do you have that moment from when you were with the band Perry where you thought that this, because what's hard is that you can think that and then something even cooler will happen and you'll be like, no, this is where I made it. But I think the first one is the one, I mean, 
it, it, it can be replaced, but do you, do you have that moment or something there, like it? There are two quick, like, I remember the first time we were playing a headlining arena show where people had bought tickets for us. And I walked out on stage before anybody was there in the arena. And I just, I just sat on stage for an hour. Cause like you, you can play on these things, but like when it's actually for your band, it just fits different. And, and then I remember when we played the Houston rodeo and we'd set a new attendance record, 75,000 people in Reliance stadium. And I went out to play the solo for a fight I young. And at the end of the solo, I took my in-ears out so that my ears weren't covered with anything. Cause I'd never heard that many people scream for anything I'd ever yeah. been a part of. And I just wanted to have that one, like, what does this moment sound like after like the most noted fiddle solo of the show? So I always think of that one. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I always think that the, the silly one now, which isn't silly, but at the time felt really huge was the first update I did for ESPN 1000 when it was the sports center music. And I was like, I get yes. to represent ESPN. Like they just played sports center music and I work for ESPN and people are going to listen to me right now. Um, that was a big one. And then, and then around the horn was like a really big moment for me as someone who'd been watching it forever and to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm in one of those boxes. Like Tony yeah. Reale's throwing me a question and I'm looking at Jackie Mack and you know, um, so those were two of them for me. Uh, that's awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing all of that. Um, speaking of, of uh of uh i don't have a good transition here we mentioned that we were going to cast the <laughs> the coaches after uh the other night monica mcnutt and i did the nfc south uh after sean payton will be played by kevin james in a new adam sandler movie so we're hmm. going to cast the whole league and tonight we're doing the nfc north if you go to at sarah spain at spain and fitz at jason fitz you can tell us who you think should play matt lafleur matt Nagy, mike zimmer dan campbell and uh, at the end of the show we'll tell you who came up with the best ones I'm just going to say I've got a good one for one of those coaches. I feel pretty, pretty solid Ooh, about that. Yeah, I feel good about this. What a tease. Also, Sarah, uh, I'll never forget the first time I heard the voice of ESPN Radio say Spain and Fitz. Like, that was, was, that, that <laughs> was, was one of my one. moments. I'm just saying. When you right, got mashed up, up with, with Chance the Rapper, that was the first time for that. <laughs> <laughs> coming up, we'll get you an update on the WNBA draft. And some interesting comments made by Trevor Lawrence have caused interesting reaction. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz were presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Speaking of which, in about 30 minutes, we hope to be joined by the top overall pick in today's WNBA draft. Charlie Collier was selected. She becomes the fourth early entrant since 2008 to go overall to go first overall in the WNBA. Sarah, as we have a, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about. Uh, the health of the college game, particularly from women's basketball, and how good some of the young players are. Well, you've got an example of this as you have a junior selected first overall and not a surprise at the top of the draft, but the WNBA draft seems so far to be a blast to watch as everybody's celebrating with their families and the entourages around them and the great, 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 great support groups that they have around them seem to be having a blast watching this moment. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the dancing grandmas are a hit. Ari McDonald, who used her time at the podium during the NCAA tournament to let people know my name is Ari, not Ari. And so tonight behind her, she's got this fake sort of greenery set up with lights that says Ari and then spells it out A-I-R-E. Let me help you out before I get to the league. Let me get that marketing out there ahead of me. Um, I love it. Very good. Yeah, also, uh, just because I want to see if I can even say this name, Finland's Awuk Kuir is the seventh international oh. player who did not play U.S. college basketball to have been selected in the top five going second overall. So uh, th thanks to the great people at Stats and Info for ESPN for giving me a very phonetic pronunciation of that. 
I hope I did it justice. But uh, congratulations to all the women that are having this incredible life moment. Uh, as, as we'll uh, we'll keep you updated on any uh, any other updates on the WNBA draft, including you know uh, how Vegas does. Also, Sarah, it should be noted, uh, you you as a you know co-owner of the Chicago Red Stars, you guys are playing right now. So we will are, you we scream are. goal intermittently if you if and when yes. you score? I don't think okay. I will be doing it intentionally. I think it will just accidentally come out as I'm pretending to be solely focused on the radio show at hand when in fact I've got one eye on that over there. And uh, these are preseason Challenge Cup games, so no attendance allowed except for a select few. And I, I know J.J. Watt is one of the select few. His wife, Kalia, is on the Red Stars. So um, he was posting photos from inside the stadium. It's given me the itch. You know, uh, when you when you haven't been to, like, a court or a field or, a, you know, I haven't been to a baseball game yet at Wrigley, so you see it and you're like, ooh, I want in on that. And so uh, this is our first home game. So fun to watch, even if I'm I'm spending my time with you instead. I feel like uh, the more I'm two episodes into Ted Lasso, I feel yes! like I'm seeing our actual working relationship here as you are the boss owner with the oh, great office yeah. that's got everything under control, yeah. and I am Ted Lasso coming in for biscuits with the boss every <laughs> single morning. This uh, absolutely fits. checks out. I would like to think I'm a little bit softer than she is at the beginning, but I'll take it if you make me biscuits. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm not quite as... Never mind. I, I am. Okay. <laughs> you absolutely are. <laughs> Wherever you're going with that, you are. <laughs> a thousand percent. All right. So uh, there were some comments this morning on GetUp that made me raise an eyebrow, and they're based on things that Trevor Lawrence has said. He said in an interview, essentially, that he's not ruled by championships, that Super Bowls just... A, he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. It doesn't have to have awards or Super Bowls. He, you know, That's not what fuels him. And that caused a reaction by Lewis Riddick. This is what the great Lewis Riddick said, and we all know we, how much I love Lewis, uh, but this is what he said this morning on Get Up. It took me aback a little bit because, look, I don't know Trevor Lawrence. I've never talked to him, and, and quite honestly, I've never been around him, so all we know is what everyone else has told us about you know, his being a can't-miss prospect and his being one of the best prospects of the past 30 years, and he's can't-miss, and this is why Urban Meyer came out of retirement because he had a can't-miss prospect here. Well, I just know this. Two things about the NFL, okay? There are quarterbacks that are just maniacal in terms of their preparation and their commitment to the game, and, they're, and they do want to win at all costs. Quite honestly, the guy who we consider the GOAT, Tom Brady, he has said, if you are not willing to commit yourself in the way that I'm willing to commit yourself, then you're probably going to have a problem matching up with him over time, you know, to paraphrase, because he's someone who is maniacal in terms of making sure that he has all the answers and he is prepared as much as possible and he will do whatever it takes in order to win football games. And winning at the NFL level is hard, man. Playing quarterback at the NFL level is hard. Steve Young used to say it all the time to me on Monday Night Countdown. It's about the details. It's about the preparation. It's about the commitment. And you better be committed on that level. And look, that's that's great stuff about so much of what it takes. Uh, but realistically, Sarah, I just don't know why we're questioning anything about Trevor Lawrence, because frankly, if he doesn't have that that whatever commitment is that that some might think he needs to get there, his commitment got him absolutely epic performances week in, week out from Clemson. He is an epic quarterback that put up all the numbers that did everything you could ever ask of him and is still transcendent. And if he's done that while having other life focuses, I'm not going to fault him for it. Yeah, he won two state titles in Georgia and 41 straight games at one point. He was 34-2 and two in college, went to two national championship games, won one, is renowned for staying after, coming early, willing to do whatever it takes to win. The fact that he sounded balanced in an interview is a good thing. 
And it feels very outdated, antediluvian even, to be expecting people to say that they need to have a chip on their shoulder or they need to focus on only football or they need to be unhealthily obsessed to the point that they don't balance it with anything else. Because guess what we also hear about? People burning out, right? So you can point to every example you want of guys who give you good quote about how they work the hardest and they care the most. Those aren't always the biggest winners, right? Uh, and so I think if if Trevor Lawrence has proven to us already, there is no reason for us to doubt him. I think that there is a problem across the NFL particularly where anti-intellectualism is sort of given off as a reason not to trust players who have other things going on. And I think if you're someone who doesn't care about intelligence or smarts or balance, you could very easily look to a very few examples of Josh Rosen or Andrew Luck retiring early because of health or, um, you know, other guys that have prioritized their health and say that's because of their intelligence or their interest in things outside of football. You need the kind of guy that's willing to die on the field. Unfortunately, that is the the opinion of some players, but it's not necessary. And the idea that you would still need someone to give lip service to that instead of acknowledging that you can have more things going on in your life and still be great, I think feels old school. And so uh, it doesn't worry me at all. I think what's more interesting is what Lewis Riddick had to say after that. People were questioning Justin Fields, and he hadn't said a word. People were questioning just how committed he was and whether he was going to be one of those guys who's going to put in the time to be great. If Justin Fields had said this kind of thing... What do you think we'd be talking about here this morning? Yeah, and that's fascinating to me. We've really only heard Dan Orlovsky have some commentary that he said, you know, he had heard a little bit about. And we haven't heard a lot of people backing that up. In fact, interestingly, Mac Jones, if you're talking off the field, has, I think, a DUI or two. And we haven't really talked about that at all. I think sometimes people are reaching for reasons to criticize. And in the case of Justin Fields, I, I think that felt a little reachy, even if that was what sources were telling him. But I think Lewis is spot on in saying, listen, you have a, you have a black quarterback. All of a sudden, the narrative is completely different than most people who I think are being respectful of what Trevor Lawrence said. Yeah, and, and the answer to what if Justin Fields had said this, Lewis is right. He would absolutely be destroyed for this. So the the, mm-hmm. the solution to this problem, in my mind, is to stop that conversation. It's, don't destroy it, anyone for it. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. don't, I'm not going to destroy Justin Fields if he turns around and decides that, by the way, he also wants to learn how to be a classical violinist on the side. I don't care. You're allowed to have a life outside of football as long as you go out and you do your job as well as you can possibly do. That's all anybody should be asking. So I'm not going to ask Trevor Lawrence to care more. I'm I'm not going to ask anybody to be judged that way. The answer here is not to justify Trevor Lawrence's uh, comments that that people are making here. The answer to me is to turn around and demand better in the way that we cover all of these kids, particularly the Justin Fields of the world, if we realize that they're being held to a different standard. Yeah, totally agree. All right. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're just getting rolling. Look at this. Uh, Hot route. We're changing everything. Coming up next, we'll be joined by the number one overall pick in the WNBA draft. You do not want to miss it. That's next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. With the first pick in the 2021 WNBA draft, the Dallas Wings select Charlie Collier from the University of Texas. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. We're hopping straight over to the Goodyear hotline. You just heard it there. We're going to talk to her now. Charlie Collier, the number one top overall pick of the WNBA draft. Charlie, thanks so much for the time. Congratulations. You dream of this forever. You heard your name called as the top overall pick. What's the moment like for you? Oh, man, it's a crazy feeling. Still can't describe it. You know, I'm just happy to be here with my family and my friends, and I'm just soaking it all in right now. You know, definitely a 
crazy historical moment for me. Charlie, I think you probably had a good idea of where you were going. You got NBA players like Kevin Durant saying, you know, I know who's going number one. You know the Wings have the top two picks. You're on the jump already talking to Rachel and Cheney today. So you're kind of like already old hat. But when when your name gets called, that's still that feeling of a dream realized. Is there any part of you that wanted to be on a stage out in Bristol? Or was it cool to be at home with family? You know, it's really, you know, it's really nice to be home, you know, with family and friends. It just hits different. It feels different. And, um, you know, no matter how much you know something or, you know, believe something or hear opinions, it's just as different when you're actually there in the moment, you know, within the atmosphere. So definitely was exciting for me at the moment. All right. So let's be real, though. You can't be around everybody. Like, how did you decide who was going to get to be in the room <laughs> with you in the moment? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, you know. 20 person max so you know we filled it up and so i had my family and friends there for sure with me <laughs> yeah she she evaded that question well Fitz. Uh-huh. she was like listen i'm not telling you how i eliminated people because they're still mad at me and then they're gonna hear this later and it's gonna be a whole thing <laughs> uh we're talking to charlie collier she's yeah. the number one pick of the wnba draft by the dallas wings uh so much fun watching you in the tournament this year And I really think the tournament played a big role in a lot of players. Most people already pegged you as the number one pick before it started, but you see someone like Eric McDonald going three. There were a lot of players that really made their case in the tournament. Did you feel pressure beyond, of course, wanting to win for your team and the expectations of your coach, but, but beyond that, to make sure that you put on a show, understanding people would be watching, seeing you as the inevitable number one pick? Um, I don't, I don't feel pressure. Uh, definitely no pressure there. I just feel like as a basketball player, you should be expected to perform on any kind of stage. It doesn't matter what kind of stage. Um, I feel like as a, you know, basketball player in general, you should just show up and show out in any, anything that you do. But, you know, I always go into games, you know, wanted to play my best and do my best and, um, just no pressure. Just got to play how I know how to play and just stay calm and cool and collect it. Charlie, you're from Texas. You played your high school uh, ball in Texas. You played your college ball in Texas. Now you're drafted in the state of Texas. <laughs> I mean, you get to do all of this mm. in one state, especially in the COVID world. Like, how special is it to know that you get to stay somewhat close to home to play your, your pro career? Um, definitely. It's awesome. You know, I'm I'm here. I'm playing basketball with my, you know, my family and friends can just drive up. It's crazy how convenient and beneficial it is, you know. Um went to high school and said just texas born and raised you know just just born and raised just bleed texas <laughs> yeah was there a part of you that wanted to go somewhere at, like since you've she always did, been Fitz. in texas she committed to yukon and then uh ended up changing her mind so she pulled the okie doke on gino which i believe elena deladon is one of the few others to be like scratch that i don't need to go to yukon i'm gonna go get it done somewhere else <laughs> uh which is kind of wild charlie no regrets huh after seeing how this all went down no regrets. I'm I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And, uh, you know, I always know if I if I had a great work ethic, I could play anywhere, you know, college basketball-wise. Charlie Collier with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. The number one pick of the WNBA draft tonight by the Dallas Wings. Uh, the Wings had a run of picks. What do you make of joining a team? Obviously, some incredible talent already there. Satu Sabali, Arike Agumbawale. But you're going to have a lot of youngsters over there. Do you feel like, first of all, you're probably in a pretty big leadership role, even as a first-year player. But also, there's going to be some expectation that there's growing pains. How patient can you be, especially coming off a great run from a Texas team? 
definitely going to have to have a lot of patience. You know, I'm a rookie coming in, so I can't come in there thinking I know it all. I definitely got to listen and um, just hone into all the information that they're giving me and um, just not afraid to answer questions. Just be a great team player, and I feel like um, that has a lot to do with, you know, being vulnerable, um, not afraid, you know, to, you know, say I don't understand anything. You know, just, you know, understand the game. You know, that's all I'm looking forward to. There's such an adjustment in life when you go from college to the pros, not just the game, but also just in, in life in general. Who are you going to lean on in that process to try and help you through? Man, all of my teammates. You know, <laughs> I'm glad to get to know them really soon and um, just build that relation with, relationship with them and get to know them, you know, get all the help I can from them. Charlie, we appreciate you joining us. Congratulations. This is such an incredible moment. We're glad to get to spend a minute with you on that incredible day. Go celebrate with your friends and your family, the 20 people that were lucky enough yeah. to get in the room, Charlie. We appreciate and you. Props on the swag. Oh, yeah. The outfit was oh, superhero yeah. yes. level magic. Like yeah. the, the cuffs that's and a, the necklace. Um, that's Woo. a custom piece. Well, okay. That's, we're already doing that. Piece. I see how it is. You haven't even yeah. played a game pros yeah. yet. You already got your custom gear. I like it. Custom. Yes, <laughs> Love ma'am. It. Love it. You looked fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> I mean, uh, th- this moment, and we talked about it earlier, Sarah. Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio. You can call ESPN. me ma'am, though. Uh, well, you know. Uh, I know it's a southern thing. It just it hits me hard polite. every time. It's From polite. up here in Chicago, we don't call people ma'am unless they're ma'ams. You know, it just, <laughs> it, it, the funny thing is I didn't really realize that till I transitioned from Tennessee to Connecticut <laughs> and like got dirty looks for saying ma'am yeah. to people all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, not up here. Uh, so, you know, I, I looked back at it, what we were talking about earlier and you could hear the joy in her voice for Charlie. Like, to get to celebrate that with their friends and family, even if there are constraints on how many people are in the room, mm-hmm. I feel like that's such a crazy, incredible moment. And then I always think with draftees about the transition, like I asked her, not just from, you know, the game. We always talk about the college game to the pro game in every sport. But, like, the life transition is really difficult to get out of the college life and into pro life and accountability and, and how you sort of manage all of that. Like, that's a, a, a difficult transition for a lot of kids to make. To stay in Texas to make that transition, I think, is one of those incredible, you know, better to be lucky than good life moments. Like, it comes together in a way where you can make that transition with a great support group around it. It just feels like that puts you in a better situation to succeed. Well, I'll tell you who was excited, uh, will be excited to hear that interview, is the new head coach of the Wings, Vicki Johnson. Because when you have a number one overall pick and her response to how she's going to adjust is to admit what she doesn't know, to be patient to look to others to teach her. And that's exactly what you want to hear from a player like that who is dominant at the collegiate level, who comes in obviously with some serious swag, but also comes in saying, listen, I know we're going to be young. I know I'm going to need a lot to learn. Um, That's got to sound good if you're a coach. Well, and this has got to be such a strange time uh, as a coach to come in and take over that team. As you mentioned earlier, they have three picks in the top five, right? Like, So you're talking about a completely rebuilt franchise. And, and that's mm-hmm. uh, while it's incredibly exciting, that's also incredibly scary because it's so hard to hit on these draft picks and make sure that you get everything right. And you have to get it right when you have that much equity at the top of the draft. So, 100%. you know, that, this is going to lead to expectation. Even if she doesn't feel pressure, there's going to be pressure on these girls to deliver because you have three picks that high in the draft. People will expect that there's going to be fairly quick results. I always call them girls, too, but we should say women. They yeah, are. That's fair. Yes, they are women. That's fair. But uh, you're right about that. This is a big job. This is similar to what happened with the Liberty, right? You have a ton of high picks. It sounds good, but we know how difficult it is to even make a roster. So if you think about it, Fitz, and you're looking at 
across the WNBA expectations for about nine or so players to have spots. And after that, for it to be a battle with somebody who's rostered to be able to make the pros, if that percentage of players of your team are all young, they wouldn't be making it everywhere else. So you got a lot of uphill climb to do if you're the Wings. Yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting thing to watch for for them in general. And like we talked about earlier, there's so much uh, there's so much talent coming up right now and rising right now. Uh, the future of the WNBA is going to absolutely look spectacular, but it's going to make it tougher and tougher for the people already in the league to find their footing. Uh, obviously, Charlie Collier on Spain and Fitz. She was brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Uh, she's going to be driven. We're going to continue to drive you through the WNBA draft. See what I did there throughout the course well of the night? Thank you so much. But uh, coming up next, it is Jackie Robinson Day, which leads to real conversations about what is being discussed for Major League Baseball and society as a whole. We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz back together. Later in the show, we're going to let you know the winner, finally, of our pandemic madness bracket. Number two, alcohol versus number five, going brawless or pantsless. You can vote at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And we're going to keep following along with the WNBA draft and all of that. But it is Jackie Robinson Day today as well. And... Fitz, it kind of came up on me quick. Um, I don't know if there was less fanfare or perhaps it was just that there was so much else going on today. Um, But it feels like an odd time to recognize Jackie Robinson Day in part because um, we now sort of associate him with Chadwick Boseman, who has since passed, uh, who played him in the film because of the conversations around race and baseball and George Floyd last year. I think there was an added focus around... um, around the day, especially as we were trying to figure out whether there would be a season and and what it meant, um, you know, this year after months and months of conversation about race and especially race's role in a league that hasn't always been on the forefront of supporting black athletes and its own black players. And is certainly still trying to figure out how to pull more black black players in black Americans in. Um, And, you know, Doug Glanville was on KJ and Z this morning, I think said some really smart stuff about trying to reconcile what it still means to be Jackie Robinson Day in 2021. Well, they certainly are trying to shift the the effort to be beyond sort of the symbolism, right, the performative side of it. You know, we know whether the, you know, a lot of controversy clearly around the all-star game move, but they're trying to at least recognize that Jackie Robinson, this is the game that brought this to life and that they need to back up a lot of what he symbolized, not just because of, okay, here's a color and things are changing, but it was transformative for our nation. I mean, Jackie Robinson effectively integrated the first major American institution uh, before the United States military. (laughs) So, so they're trying to recognize that Jackie Robinson, not only was this figure that sort of bit his tongue for a little while, he then transformed into who he, he really was, and that was someone who was an activist. He, he lobbied. He wrote letters. He debated Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. He was on the streets. He opened the Black Bank. He, he was a columnist. He was an executive. I mean, this man was first in everything, and Major League Baseball kind of had been selective about choosing the most palatable version of Jackie Robbins so that everybody was, quote, comfortable, but in the end, he was on the streets, I mean, literally, and never stopped. And, and so that's the other Jackie Robinson that if the game embraces more of, and I think they're trying to do more of that, that you really get the complete picture of what it means to, to make change. 
it's there's so much in there, but I think especially the end is what what's on a lot of people's minds. Kavitha Davidson, former ESPNer, wrote for the Athletic about this and said, you know, it's starting to feel like instead we're celebrating MLB for correcting a barrier that never should have been there in the first place. That we're certainly prolonging the memory and extending the memory of Jackie Robinson and allowing for this great moment every year. But are we still addressing real challenges in the sport and this country when it comes to racism? Or are we holding up what some would offer up as the phrase model minority to ignore larger issues um, in, in the rest of the race across the country? There are a couple of things, Sarah, that really hit me about all of this conversation right now. One is how recent this is. I think sometimes we all feel about we, we think back to segregation issues particularly, and it feels like that was generations and generations ago. And you're reminded that it wasn't. And as I've said several times, I think today, you know, it hits me when I look at the dates of all of this and realize that my dad watched this go down. Right. Like it, it doesn't feel like that's. It feels like we we like to sort of dismiss it as something that happened a very long time ago. And the other part of it is in a stick to sports world that so many people have. I mean, Jackie is a perfect example of not doing that, but also a perfect example of the only way that you can have the platform sometimes to not do that is to be so spectacular at your sport that you're undeniable and they have to let you play. You know, it, it's it's such a strange cross-section when you look at this and say, man, I realize that history is cyclical, but aren't we in some ways doing the same things to people that, that now that we were doing then when it comes to trying to limit their voice and their ability to do anything outside of sports? It, it's maddening to me to see how much repetition there is in some of the stupidity in our society. Yeah, and Doug pointed that out, right? The sanitized version of him, the same way, a lot of people pointed out when Hank Aaron passed away, right? We, we we have been presented this idea of them as black men who went through so much and fought so many battles for others, but did so by putting their head down and just going. And that wasn't the case. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of talking and speaking out and, and dealing with things that are not pleasant. And so this sanitized version where we are plotting ourselves in the league for doing what's right when it's so obvious while understanding that there are so many other issues still to be dealt with. Um, it feels especially difficult now, and it feels so in part it's because we're very aware of whether the leagues and teams and players are simply trotting out you know, black squares on their social media or hashtags that say equality or end racism, or whether they're actually living that every single day. And certainly in our country right now, uh, there are plenty of opportunities to, to to be on the right side of things when it comes to police violence that's disproportionately affecting people of color, the way COVID disproportionately affected people of color. You know, in fact, in Kavitha's story, she said that one player declined to comment about the impact of Jackie Robinson Day, sort of expressing exhaustion at answering the same questions every year, wearing the number 42 jersey, but that the fear of living as a black person in this country hasn't changed. And so... That symbolism is essentially meaningless unless we're really getting to the root of the racism that plagues our country. But in order to really get into the root of that, I think what we have to do is, you know, as, as our former colleague Emmanuel Acho always says, uncomfortable conversations, right? Like at some point, don't we have to rip the Band-Aid off? Like trying to give me a comfortable version, uh, you know, of Jackie Robinson that, that sort of is palatable. Uh, what's that word I'm looking for? Palatable. Uh, Thank you. For everybody yeah. doesn't do any good. It's like if no different than anything else in life. We've become to a point as a society where if all we try and do is coddle everybody and try and have these really nice conversations, won't hurt anybody's feelings. People don't really listen and they don't yeah. really hear. And unfortunately, 
Like at some point, it, it, I'm not saying we have to be loud or yell. I'm saying we have to be direct. And maybe what needs to be told right now by Major League Baseball is more of the uncomfortable portion of this in such a direct way that we can all look at it and say, oh, my God, I can't believe that happened. How do we make sure that's not still happening? Like that seems to be like the regular human response if we have more direct conversations and we're, we're too scared to do that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're right. The specifics, the details, right? Um, Kavitha, again, writes, maybe it would be meaningful for MLB to stop holding police appreciation nights in ballparks. We don't really have any widespread accountability. We don't really have any meaningful change yet as we continue to see, literally with video, um, the death of citizens at the hands of the police, oftentimes claiming you know, an accident or claiming fear uh, or claiming nerves in a situation where that that can't there can't be an error that ends someone's life. And Jackie Robinson had talked about his own experience with the police, including a time where he was uh, accosted by a plainclothes officer who had a gun on him. And were it not for bystanders telling the officer that's Jackie Robinson, he doesn't know if he would have made it out. Um, and so, you know, his his interaction um with the you know the NAACP and the way he interacted and chose which side he was on of various Black Panther efforts and civil rights movement, um, that all should be talked about. Not just these you know string violin pieces in the background of him sharing a field with white players. Because to your point, it doesn't encourage any conversation. It allows people to pat themselves on the back and feel like they've really done something. And instead, what we're seeing is that there are still issues of race. In baseball, especially in certain cities, what we're seeing is that there's still an issue of appealing to and reaching out to, to black youth in order to encourage their 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 involvement in the game and not pricing them out because of financial reasons. Um, and then the larger issues of just sports and race in this country still being something that we would prefer to turn into a snippet of a inspiring movie instead of a realistic conversation about, you know, still dealing with the same issues decades later. And there's a spot for me, Sarah, where I look at this and say the story of Jackie Robinson eventually loses its power if we don't continue to tell the story of what he had to go through and what he went through to get to that spot. Like if all we're going to do is say, but look, this is the moment that everybody right. came together without the context of the pain and hurt that it took to get there. I'm not sure that we can truly appreciate that to its finest. And right now, I don't think anybody wants to hear about the pain and the hurt. They just want the celebration. And that's just not fair to the process that got us to where that led to. I completely agree. And Fitz, when you were off on Monday, Courtney Cronin was in uh, speaking from Minneapolis, sharing with us the reaction to the death of Dante Wright, an unarmed uh, 20-year-old black man at the hands of police, and how the city was reminiscent of post-George Floyd and you know concerns about the city games being postponed. And here in Chicago, a 13-year-old boy uh, was just killed by a police officer, and the video was released today, and there's an expectation of, of more rioting and anger and fear on our relationship with the police um, not always uh, black people, but people of color in general in this country. Um, that's a conversation that a lot of people don't want to have. But we can't just keep watching these replays of videos of people's lives being taken instead of addressing what's at the at the root of it. And, um, you know, it's interesting on a day like today to make sure that we're actually addressing the issues and not uh, expressing platitudes back and forth and being proud of ourselves for something that was long overdue. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz coming up. You guys got us 
a lot of different casting suggestions for the coaches of the NFC North. We also have finally a delayed winner for our uh, pandemic madness bracket. They're both coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget you can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes we'll have pre-party, after-party, digital-only content. We haven't done that in a while, Fitz. We should do that soon, huh? We keep promising yeah, I'm, I'm that, in, and then, you I'm know, you're out party. in L.A., I'm on vacation. What are we doing here? You know? Yeah, what You know what we should do? We should do, like, a power hour. Just line up shots and then Ooh. see where this thing goes. Do you think if it's digital-only, it applies the same rules as regular show, where we, you know, in theory, should be sober? If we don't, better to ask forgiveness than permission. Okay. Okay. Is it? Is it in this case, or is it better to make sure you have Probably a job? not. You're Probably, a much yeah. bigger star at this network, so I'm going to need you to do the asking. That's also, just, I can't just, be trusted when, well, you know, I can't be trusted sober. So the chances of me <laughs> not causing a serious problem for all of us, I don't know. Uh, we, speaking of causing problems, I can't do math uh, or count, apparently. So I. Uh, tried to count the different slots in our pandemic madness bracket. It was, what are the things that got you through 2020? Things like redecorating the house, video games, Ted Lasso, cooking, long walks, online shopping, Tiger King, all of these things. We thought we were timing it perfectly to happen at the same night as the title game, but uh, that was the final four. So we were so close. Uh, And tonight we were waiting for Fitz to return. We finally got to finally, finally announce the winner of the thing that most got us all through the year 2020 and Fitz. I don't think you'll be surprised to find out that it was alcohol. (laughs) People decided it was alcohol. So to your point, it would feel like a very fitting celebratory after party one night coming up to celebrate the thing that got us all through last year together by having it. Sarah, can I tell you an alcohol story? I know you really want this in your life. Uh, just the one. It's just going to hijack the whole show at this point. Go Spain for it. Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So I spent a good amount of to- time in my life uh, opening for Brad Paisley when I was with the band Perry. And Brad Paisley ends every night with the song Alcohol. So the rule is they bring out a mascot version of Brad and a, a bar is wheeled out on stage and every other band that's a on stage. A mascot version? Like, yeah, like mascot it looks version. like a human, but it's like fluffy yeah. and... Puffy? Yeah, okay. it's like big mascot head, like all of Ooh, that. Cool. Like it's it's Brad Paisley as a mascot of Brad. Okay, I'm into and, it. Uh, so everybody comes out on stage, and it doesn't matter if you were like out on a side stage in the middle of the afternoon. Like every band comes out on stage, he sings his song "Alcohol," which is very famous, and everybody raises a shot and everybody takes it. So two things to note about this: number one, you could set your clock by a Brad Paisley show. You know exactly when it comes on. So I'd be on the bus in my gym shorts watching Family Guy, and I'd be like, "Yep, it's ten twenty nine. I need to go." Like you, you're that exact. <laughs> So you go out on stage because you have to go. I would go out every night with a hoodie and you know gym shorts on because I just don't care. And I would take the uh, I would take the shot and raise it. But the funny f- story here is that Brad's band not they don't drink during the show. We uh, did not drink uh, on that tour. And uh, the other person, Scotty McCreary, was out with us. Scotty was not yet twenty one. Like Twelve, yeah. So his band was not able to drink. So we were drinking shots of uh, lemonade every night. It was shots of <laughs> lemonade acting like drunk idiots in front of drunk idiots every night. So every time I hear the word alcohol just by itself, that's what I think of. It's just you power just hour of, of lemonade. Just pounding lemonade. How yeah. how uh, nice and wholesome, those country boys. So yeah. so wholesome. That tour, Meanwhile, that the, crowd tour. Is, the crowd is hammered, <laughs> and you guys are drinking lemonade. Uh, It's Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, making it easy to bundle your home and car insurance. Um, 
Our apologies to Brawless and Pantsless, to also Sweatpants and The Last Dance that got knocked out in the final four. But alcohol, a worthy a worthy victor, I would say, oh, yeah. in uh, getting us through 2020. I did subscribe to two wine clubs during that time, and I did find someone in the neighborhood that was a bartender who created mixes that you would pick up on his on his uh, doorstep and then mix with the alcohol at home when I got sick of wine. So uh, It just shows yeah, everybody, too, out. like, seeding doesn't matter. Alcohol was a no. two-seed, still got their way to the final. It really doesn't matter. It's how you play. It's how you play the game. <laughs> alcohol played it well. Uh, we also asked you guys, uh, knowing that Kevin James was slotted to play Saints head coach Sean Payton in a new Adam Sandler movie, we're casting the entire league. We're going by divisions. Yesterday, NFC South. Now, NFC North. And that leads us to... A bunch of coaches that you guys had great, great responses for. Uh, Rob Cordry for Matt Nagy. You know him from from Ballers. Uh, also, Paul Shear. a lot of people thought, for Matt Nagy. Uh, Freddie Prinze Jr. for Matt LaFleur uh, was a good one. Um, David Cross, I had never thought of before. But David Cross, you know, of course, from uh, Arrested Development and Never Nude. He is a very good Matt Nagy. Uh, a very, very good Matt Nagy. He has a lot of lookalikes, in fact, Matt Nagy does. I did not know who John Benjamin was, uh, but once I looked him up, uh, H. John Benjamin, he's in um, Archer, he's in Bob's Burgers, Family Guys, oh, yeah. so a yeah. lot of voices. The voice. Um, yeah, but he looks a lot like Matt Nagy, too. It turns out, just a white guy with a roundish face and a beard, It's there's a lot of options. That okay, seems to I, be... I, I'll admit, I did not realize that that's what H. John Benjamin looked like. I mean, yeah. I've seen him here and there, but it just didn't sink in. I did. I do have one. Uh, like, I have a comp for Lafleur. I haven't seen anybody okay. tweet this yet. Let's see. Like, uh, this is. Let's go back a few years. It's a little bit younger version, but Tim McGraw, like Friday Night Lights, Tim McGraw for oh. Matt Lafleur. Oh yeah, yeah. I like, see that. Really, I do see that. I think it's of, like, yeah. yeah, it's like there's a fair amount of teeth in there. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot yeah. uh, the, the Luke Wilson, I saw that one for Matt LaFleur. That's a good one. Um, I saw a lot of good ones for Dan Campbell. I'm sorry, man Campbell, as they call him. Uh, Patrick Warburton is a good one. Uh, Jeff Bridges, especially as the dude. Um, oh, that's John good. Goodman, yeah. John mm. Goodman, when he's got the goatee, especially when he's in uh community and he's like the air conditioning repair guy, uh, Mr. Bean for Mike Zimmer is, is one. And a lot of David Keckner. Um, who you, of course, know from Anchorman and The Office, looks a lot like Mike Zimmer. Um, I was surprised we didn't get more Stugats for Mike Zimmer. because We did get some Stugatses. There is a there, resemblance there. It's a little Stugats in Zimmer, for sure. Like a staggering difference in the way some of these coaches look, that we're getting John Goodman for one and, you know, Freddie Prince uh, Jr. for the other. Yeah, like, I mean, I think we knew yeah, Matt LaFleur yeah. was, he, he got some Ryan Reynolds. He got, uh-huh. you know, he, he, Colin Farrell. Uh-huh. I think, you know, when you ask people who you look like and they're all like movie stars known for their good looks, that's a, that's a nice compliment. I don't know if Kevin James is the same. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I don't know if, uh, you know, Bill Cower, who got thrown out as, as the rep for Man Campbell, uh, is is the one that makes you feel great about yourself. Um, Look, I'm just going to say it out loud. As somebody that has fluctuated my weight, I'm the first to admit it, and uh, you know, is a little self conscious at times. If I sold the rights to a movie and found out that Kevin James was playing me, I'd be a little hurt. Like, right, I kind of want right. somebody that's you know, I'd, I'd much rather be on the skinny side. That's all. Like, it would we've make done look some lookalikes. We've done some lookalikes for you before. I don't remember well, all of them. Good. It's never good. It's always some really dorky looking guy with no chin. Like, that's what it is. It's always a dorky looking guy. With <laughs> No I've got a one type, of them, apparently. 
you I, I don't think you're a dorky guy with no chin. You do look kind of like either Abbott or Costello. I can't remember which is which. Again, long um, face, skinny face, dorky yeah. guy. There, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Can it not be Tom Cruise? Like, uh, I'm working I always on get here. I always get Mayim Bialik, uh, who I don't oh, think I look wow. anything like. Um, no, you don't. Yeah. Uh, I really, you know, I don't uh, it, I don't see it. But whatever. Whatever people yeah. want to tell me, it's better than Kevin James, I guess. I don't know what the female equivalent of Kevin James is, but please don't tell me. I don't want you to tell me. <laughs> I don't want to know. Please don't send me anything, uh, especially if it's an adult film star, because when people send that to me on the Internet, it doesn't make me your feel like Twitter, it's a compliment. Your Internet world is so is, much different is than mine. so Nobody different than that. yours. It is. It is. Uh, it's really different. Uh, thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. We're glad to be back. Uh, update yourself on all the WNBA draft picks, including the Sky. They got a Sheila named Shayla from Australia. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 